Hi, I'm Jen Sherlock, and welcome to my lifestyle podcast, Live Without a Nest. The podcast showcases people who live fearlessly and have the ambition to create something. I'll showcase change makers who have decided to let go of their safety net in order to survive. So let's jump right in. Hi, everyone. I'm Jen Sherlock. Thanks for joining us for Live Without a Net. And I have an awesome guest today. Her name is Sophia Bennett. She's a Los Angeles native. She's in her 40s and she is living each day with purpose now after going through something, um, you know, not every woman has gone through in their life. And as we were just speaking before the podcast, um, we were talking about how life is so short and we really need to embrace it. And um, I'm so happy to have you here today, Sophia. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah. So I want to start with, you know, I want to get deep in the beginning and I want to talk about like when you were first diagnosed with breast cancer, like what was going through your brain? I mean, you were under 40 at the time, correct? Yes, I was 39 and I was, didn't have any like concept of breast cancer um, awareness, or I should say any real feeling that I was, um, someone that was likely to get breast cancer, given that I had no family history and I was very healthy. I went to yoga every other day and just had a very healthy lifestyle. You know, I'm, I'm not overweight. I don't smoke. I don't really drink very often. So it wasn't something that I was thinking about in my thirties at all, really. And then, um, until I found the lump and of course, from then on, everything changed. So what were you doing when you found the lump? I was, so I was, I love yoga and I was doing some really crazy, weird yoga poses. (laughs) And I was, and one of them was, one of them was like, you know, kind of like moving, twisting your arms and you're around you and then this weird, funky, like posture. And I felt on my left breast kind of like a hard knot um, in like the front of my, my breast. And it was strange. So when I finished class, I remember doing a self-exam and I was in complete shock. I was in shock because I knew that that was, that mass was not there before. It was something that was physically there. So I couldn't just ignore it or I couldn't go to sleep and pretend it wasn't there. <laughs> and was it was physically there was something in my breast and it felt like a walnut. Um and I say that because it was kind of like knotty. It was not smooth, but it was it was like a like a rock, a little rock. Um is a size about of like a nickel. So it was undeniable in size and it was not something that you can, you know, just kind of massage and go away. Um, so that's how I found the lump that on that, it was a Sunday, it was a Sunday in December and the very next morning at 11 AM, I had an appointment. I made an appointment with my doctor for, um, for an exam. Gosh, so I can only imagine you must be wondering, like, how is this happening to me? Why me? I'm so young. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was, 
It was, it was, I mean, I know that people say, oh, you feel like it's a bad dream, but it really did feel mentally like an out-of-body experience in terms of the possibility of, of having breast cancer and just thinking about all the questions that come to mind, like what stage will it, is it going to be? What do, what do I need to do? How long is it going to take me? Do I have to have chemotherapy? All these all these things that you, all these questions that you have about what your life will require of you for however long the treatment entails. So, and I think for me, another major question I had or overwhelming feeling I had, which led me to write the book is, why did I get breast cancer? And, and I really wanted to understand that because, because if I could have prevented it, what would I have done differently? And I think that's when I started doing a lot of research. Um, when I found out my diagnosis, or I just started researching breast cancer and trying to understand what I was doing. My, what I was doing to my body that may have influenced my likelihood of getting breast cancer. And the, the breast cancer that I have is estrogen receptor positive breast cancer. So it's fueled by estrogen. And so the more estrogen in my body, the more, the more the cancer cells grow. And so if you deprive my body of estrogen, there are, the, the cancer cells cannot, won't grow because, because there's not, not enough estrogen. So that's what fuels them. That's what fuels my type of breast cancer. And so under, so then I thought estrogen, well, what was I doing with respect to estrogen? And I was, I looked at my birth control pills. They were estrogen obviously um, pretty, I would say pretty moderate level, moderate to high on the higher side level of estrogen that I was giving my body um, every month for way too long. I was on my birth birth control pill for, I would say, almost 20 years. And I started reading about it and how the the length of time that you're on birth control pills prior to having, having children increases your risk of having, of getting breast cancer. And also I just couldn't, I started looking more into the, the, the process of how giving yourself extra estrogen in the form of birth control pills increases your likelihood of getting breast cancer. And that was main, main uh, discussion point in my book, because I think a lot of young women who are on the pill aren't necessarily cognizant or have a real understanding of the the increase in likelihood that they get breast cancer as a result of taking their birth control, birth control pills in general and just have and just knowing the amounts of estrogen you're giving the amounts of hormones that you're giving yourself and what those risks really are I think that's important for women to know. I agree. I, um, I'm blown away by that because I've never seen one advertisement, one warning about birth control pills causing breast cancer. And I think it's important to get the word out to so many who may you know, get on it from when they're in high school. I think I was really, that was, it's funny you mentioned that because I immediately went to my birth control pill that I used to take and I I looked at the at the warning label 
And I included it in my book because I think it's pretty, I mean, it speaks for itself when you read it. I mean, one sentence says, the studies show that um, birth control pills do not increase the risk of breast cancer. And the next sentence says it that it might. So other studies say that it does. So is that really a warning? And is that really true? I, I don't think so. Um, first of all, it's not clear. It says one thing and then it contradicts itself. Second, it's not consistent with what the actual research shows, which is that at least it inc- birth con- taking birth control pills, granted, I mean, mine was estrogen, um, estrogen-based uh, birth control pills. There are different types of birth control pills with different levels of hormones, et cetera. But the level that I was taking increased my chance by at least 20%. And that's, and it varies based on the amount of estrogen and other hormones that you're giving yourself. So that is, I think is, is very important. I would encourage young women to do research for themselves and look at neutral places like the American Cancer Society, their, their um, online publications and literature make clear that their position is that birth control pills do increase the likelihood of causing breast cancer, period. So if you're getting other information from pharmaceutical companies and warning labels, I, I would recommend that women not rely on that information because had I known that my birth control pill was increasing my risk by at least 20 to 20%, it actually increases longer the more you're on the birth control pill. So I would say closer to 30% because I was on it so long. And it all studies also show that once you're off the birth control pills, that it that increase in likelihood of getting breast cancer stays with you for 10 years after you stop taking breast cancer. I mean, taking the um, birth control pills. Wow. All just from an increase in estrogen levels? It's an increase in hormones. For me, I have to say that my my breast cancer is estrogen receptor positive. So for me, yes, it it re- relates to the amount of estrogen that I was giving giving my body and giving my system. So if there's one thing you could get out to women under 40 and in their 40s, would it be to to research, do some research or, or speak to their doctors before they decide to take the birth control pill? Because I mean... I think a lot of women would reconsider taking it if it could cause them to have cancer or possibly even die. I think that they should do their own research. I, I encourage, we have to be our own advocates. I learned this the hard way going through my uh, breast cancer treatment. We have to be our own healthcare advocates. And I would say, do your own look at, look, look for yourself, look at the data for yourself. Because when, when you do that, I think you'll have a very clear understanding that birth control pills do increase your likelihood of getting breast cancer and whether you're willing to take that risk. There's also an increase, the risk also increases not only the length of time that you're on the pill, but also um, if you've ha- not had a child, then the risk is increased for some reason biologically if you're if you haven't had your first child yet, then that also increases your risk of breast cancer. So these there's these factors that are important to know 
um, you know, in terms of what the risk levels are in your particular case. I also think the most important thing to me is knowing that we have, I think women need to screen for breast cancer way before they're 40. My, my main motivation or one of my main motivations for writing the book was that, you know, the breast cancer is the, is the, is the cancer with the, um, has the highest population from the ages of, of, um, 15 to, to 39. And that's the population of people that are not yet, not yet screened for breast cancer because the screening, this current standard of care is that the current screening tool is getting a mammogram at the age of starting at the age of 40. Well, I think that really misaligns and doesn't really give women, doesn't really put in the forefront of women's minds that we need to think about breast cancer as early as our 20s. And if we do that and we catch it earlier, then the diagnosis or the prognosis will be very different than waiting until you're 40 to get screened and discover that you already have a lump, which means that you have breast cancer. So it was interesting for me because I was really kind of angry too when I felt my lump because I realized that, okay, I wasn't even screened, set to be screened yet for breast cancer. And it wasn't like I had was had precancerous cells. I had a lump, which means I already had breast cancer. And it was already fully developed and had been fully developed for at least, my doctor said, at least like 10 years. So I think it's important for young women to think about breast cancer prevention when they're in their 20s and in their 30s, because the decisions that they make at that point in time will impact their lives when they're in their 40s. And rather than waiting and then trying to correct it and address it once it's all once you already have breast cancer or whatever stage of the process it is, it's much better and you're going to be in a much better position to prevent it if you're looking for the signs and you're proactive with your health and you make ed- informed, educated decisions about whether or not to take birth control pills and other hormones that may increase your risk. You read my mind because I'm on page 13 of your book, 100 Things I Wish I Knew, Breast Cancer Under 40. And I was just going to ask you about what I learned was that self-detection of a lump is not prevention. You actually have breast cancer, which is interesting because there's many people, including me, that thought that it means that you could still beat it possibly. So there are different stages of breast cancer. I mean, when you already have a lump that's sizable, my my breast cancer was stage two. And so that it was a hard form of, obviously it had manifested into a lump. And so yes, you already have, when you have a lump, you already have breast cancer. And then once you have breast cancer, it's trying to keep that stage, keep it in its current stage it's having it's it's a matter of managing it and making sure that it doesn't come back um and that means a lot of different things based on the type of breast cancer there are many different types of breast cancer some breast cancers that stay in the cells don't have the ability to move to out other parts of your body 
Um, and I talked about invasive versus non-invasive breast cancer. Non-invasive breast cancer does not have the ability, the cells don't have the ability to know how to permeate and go outside of the original um, location where the cancer the cancer is formed. And invasive cancer, those cells know how to permeate and escape into the bloodstream, go to other organs in the body. And that's how, um, and if, when they do go to another organ or location in the body, that's um, what is commonly called as metastatic breast cancer, stage four breast cancer. So there's lots of different types of breast cancer. Um, but once you have a lump or cells even that are malignant, then you have breast cancer. It's just the stage in which you get it or you learn of it really is, is how you're able to treat it. And so that's another crucial, crucial point um, that I want to sort of really emphasize to women, which is that you really want to be aware of what's going on in your body as soon as it's happening. So I remember going to radiation, um, my radiation appointments, and there was a girl who had caught it so early um, that she had was able to just, she only had cancerous cells. It hadn't formed into a lump. And so she was, oh, she didn't have to have surgery. She just had radiation and the radiation alone killed the breast cancer. That was her sole level of treatment at that time because she caught it early. And I remember thinking, um, and I'm no, I don't know this girl's um, medical history, but it was, I believe I believe it was because she had, it was something that ran in her family that she was able to get early testing. And so when she got the early testing, they detected cells. And then she was just able to treat the cells, which is much, which is much more, um, it's easier, right, to treat. And you're, it, it decreases the likelihood of recurrence when you're only dealing with a certain number of cells versus it's it spreading more and more growing, growing, the cells are duplicating. The more cells you have, the more you have, the more the uphill battle, um, the, the bigger your battle will be in, term, in terms of eradicating breast cancer, a breast cancer diagnosis. So, I mean, even if, for example, I had noticed my or detected my lump earlier, then that could have meant that I would not have had to have surgery or maybe I didn't need to have radiation or maybe. So really you want to think of it as not being afraid of a breast cancer diagnosis, but just thinking, being proactive about ensuring that your body is on the right path, uh, a path of being healthy, a path of being disease-free, and that you know how also to give yourself an exam and know that if there's something that feels unusual or um, new or hurts or any of those things, that you have it in your mind that it's important to obviously, you know, get screened and, and check everything out early, as early as possible, as soon as they, you detect it. And if that's going to be, in my opinion, before, before your 40th, 40th birthday, I mean, my, my goal is to have or in an ideal world, young women who are in their 20s and 30s have an awareness um, of breast cancer and know what to look for and who are proactive about their health so that 
they don't have to face a diagnosis when they're in their 40s, like me. Do you also think that they should request the mammogram early or is that not something you recommend unless they, they feel something abnormal? Well, well if, they feel, if you feel anything abnormal in your breast, always automatically, no matter what it is, you know, of course, go see your medical provider like immediately. <laughs> but, um, but in terms of the, in terms of the standard of care, so they say that they, the, my, my research indicates that doctors don't, there is no uh, current screening tool for women under 40 because women have very dense breast tissue. And so it's more difficult to detect cells and with in denser tissue. So in other words, the screening tool isn't that effective for women under their 40, the current screening tool. And that's another area of, I think, education is that we need an effective screening tool for women in their 20s and 30s. And I remember asking, I mean, I'm, I was very naive before my diagnosis. And I said, okay, you have, they said, we don't want it to spread. You have currently have a lump in your breast. And I said, well, can you just give me a blood test and tell me if it's anywhere else in my body? And the doctor said, we're not there yet. And I thought, how is that possible? <laughs> I thought, we put a man on the moon. How can we not, how can you not give me a blood test? A blood test can tell you if you're pregnant. A blood test can tell you so many things. How can we not, why do we not have the capacity to do that? So I know that we're working towards other screening tools or the, uh, the medical profession is working towards different screening tools that can, different modalities for checking um, for uh, women who do have dense breast tissue, younger women. And that's something that hopefully will, you know, come to fruition in the next, you know, decade, hopefully sooner. Um, but until then, I do think that knowing what you're putting in your body in terms of hormones, what increases your risks, I think that's important to know because take it from me, it does actually, your risk is real. It's real even for those people that have no family history and no genetic disposition. Um, it's, it's, it's random. It's completely random. I was the last person that I thought could get breast cancer. And also, also self-exam because say you notice a lump. I mean, thank God that I noticed a lump. Thank, I, I'm so thankful for yoga and for noticing the lump when I did because what if I would have waited another two years and it would have progressed into a, a, a later stage? I mean, a lot of some people don't realize they have breast cancer or cancer in general until later stage, stage four. It's more difficult to treat. It's already spread to other parts of the body. I mean, that it's really an issue of timing. Breast cancer is really an issue. Cancer is really an issue of timing. And ideally, number one, ideally the goal would be prevention, complete prevention and not having to get breast cancer at all. And if secondarily, it would be extremely early detection. Um, the earlier you get it, the less difficult treatment is the less likely that it is to recur and the more, the more likely you'll be okay at the end. Um, you had said something interesting prior. If you put 
13 women in a room, one will get breast cancer in their lifetime. Is that correct? Or do I have the wrong stats? So I think it was one in eight is the current statistic for uh, women. One in eight women will get breast cancer. If you put um, one in eight women in a room, one of them will get breast cancer. And it's one in 800 for men. And men get breast cancer too. And I think that's also important um, to talk about. I know that you know, Beyonce, the singer, her dad came out and announced that he had battled breast cancer at one point um, a few years ago. And I thought that that was very, you know, great that he came out publicly because I don't know a lot of men that have any um, sort of idea or familiarity with the fact that they men can also get breast cancer and they can. So, I think, you know, and I, I talk about that in the book, but I think we all have a communal interest, you know, both men and women to, you know, to prevent this disease um, and to really hopefully start changing the numbers. I mean, I was really devastated to see that between the ages of something 15 to 39, that breast cancer is the highest um it's the highest type of risk of can- uh, type of cancer that is within that age group. And I, and I think it's because we don't screen, right, for, during that time period. We don't have, we're not paying attention um, to that risk or, or, even, or even thinking about it. So I just hope that young women and men think about breast cancer and, um, you know, are able to have a little bit more familiarity and self-knowledge and awareness um, to prevent this disease. Is there any interesting information that we can learn in terms of like what we eat and other things that either cause breast cancer or ways that could prevent, things we could eat that would prevent breast cancer? Well, it's interesting to to know that different types. So I I mean, my, I'm going to speak to my type of breast cancer because I've, that's what I've researched. And so my type of breast cancer, as I mentioned, is estrogen receptor positive. And so I was thinking, so for me, it's thinking about, and, and it is, I think my type of breast cancer is the most common, the mo- one of the most common types of breast cancer. Um, the other types of breast cancer are a little, are less common, but there is um, the estrogen that is in my body, like I said, feeds the cancer cells. So I started thinking about what another other ways or other environmental factors that increased my risk of breast cancer. And I asked one of the, I had a, I had a consulting oncologist in Denver and he, I said, why did I get this? And he said, you know, environmental factors. And I said, what does that mean? (laughs) And he said, everything. And I said, what does that mean? He's like, well, what causes estrogen? And I said, I don't know. You tell me. So I started researching what causes estrogen and estrogens, there are xenoestrogens, which are basically um, a form of estrogens that are found in plastic. BPA is a form of, has estrogen in it, which as you know, from like, it's from the water bottles that we drink. So plastic has xenoestrogens are uh, found in plastics. Like it can be your, your, the, the soap that you use. It could be your hair products. It could be the water, the water you drink. It could be from how you buy your food, if you buy them in plastic containers. And that really overwhelms me, as you can imagine, because I'm thinking, okay, how can I get less plastic and xenoestrogens into my system? 
And now I do, you know, sort of, um, I use a clean, I have a clean lifestyle. I definitely use chemical free, um, you know, personal hygiene products. I think that's important. Um, what you, what you eat, in my opinion, is extremely important. I, I looked at food as a way to heal myself as a form of medicine when I, um, got my diagnosis and really ate clean and not only eating clean in terms of, you know, the greens and high density foods, but also in terms of how my, how I was getting my food and ensuring that I am not utilizing plastics. If I don't, if I don't need, if I, if I can avoid it, I do. Um, and so that's important to understand even the fragrance that you put in the walls releases a xenoestrogen um, from the chemicals. And so, you know, just having an awareness. And I think also, I was also interested to know that, you know, a lot of the government has to put out, um, you know, warning signs, warning labels to people to let them know what chemicals, what ingredients cause, causes cancer. And one of those ingredients is estrogen. And so looking at, and then xenoestrogens and BPA, and, and, and we can, you can see it, even the water bottles, if you look at the bottom of your water bottle under the SKU tab, it'll say BPA free if it is. And I know um, a couple of brands that I, I drink um, and I only drink BPA. If I, if I have to drink plastic, I only drink from BPA free plastic water bottles. Um, but water bottles over the, over the course of time, you know, you're just giving yourself estrogen. So it is an uphill battle. And I think in our society where, you know, we're operate out of convenience and it takes, I think, real conscious awareness and it can be lifestyle changes that affect, you know, that, that's on a, on a, you may seem like small and unimportant details, but I think over time, really impact your lives, your life and, an op- and the likelihood of, of developing this disease. And another major area um, that I looked into in terms of factors is stress. And I didn't really understand. I mean, everyone says, oh, stress causes disease. Everyone I had, this, of course, general awareness. But what I didn't understand is that on a scientific level, that the stress hormone, cortisol, the inc- that cortisol level increases estrogen levels. And I was, and for me, estrogen is the key thing I want to invo- avoid, right? And I want to diminish. So the fact that estrogen increases just on a cellular level, you're just increasing the, increasing the number, of, the amount of estrogen in my body. For me, that my goal is to, I have to keep that down in order for my breast cancer to not return. And the more, the more cortisol, the higher my estrogen. So if I bring that, the cortisol down, the estrogen goes down. What does that mean on a daily basis for me? That means not being stressed out. That means maintaining a sense of equanimity. Even in this fast pace, you know, crazy times, you know, crazy world that we're living in now, how do you maintain that level of equanimity and be stress-free and really be able to safeguard your body in that way. And I think I don't, I no longer think of stress as some, some kind of just concept. I think of it now as an, a real 
just like drinking water. It's something tangible. It affects me chemically on a chemical level and that my body has to process. And therefore, because, because I am a breast cancer survivor, it's something that I need to change my, the way I live my life on a daily basis and in real actionable ways. So just going back to the estrogen, I was just curious because I know there's some foods that naturally boost estrogen. Is that different type of estrogen? There's what? I'm sorry? There's There's foods that naturally boost That's right. So is that different than taking the pill? Like does the pill cause a hormonal balance instead of certain things that naturally increase estrogen? It's, 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 It's the amount of estrogen that you're giving your body. So I can't say, because I haven't done the research on how much, est- how much estrogen is in foods, but I can say I know from the birth control pill that I was utilizing, it was like 30% increase in estrogen each month for over the course of 10 years. You do the math, that's a lot of estrogen that my body had to process over that period of time. And cells replicate. And what happens is, on a cellular level, one, if one cell doesn't replicate perfectly, it's an abnormal cell. And that sounds harmless, kind of, except that the, an ab, quote unquote, abnormal cell is really a cancerous cell. And so you're increasing exponentially if you just do it mathematically, if you just look mathematically, the increased amount of, of estrogen you're giving over every month, over the course of 10 years how much more your body has to process, you're increasing the risk that one of those cells is going to improperly duplicate. And that not perfectly replicated cell is cancerous. And that cell tries to duplicate. Your body tries to get it to, to stop growing. But the cancerous cell is very crazy weird. It learns how to manipulate and try to um, replicate itself within the healthy cells. And so it's this battle between the good cells and the bad cells, the bad cells that are trying to grow and the good cells that are trying to attack and contain those bad cells. Those bad cells are cancer, cancerous cells, and they just keep replicating over time. And it's a slow period of time. My, my oncologist said that my lump would have formed over the course of like eight to 10 years. So it's a very slow process, but it's a real process, a real process of, you know, sort of just doing the math. Um, I'm sorry, did I, I, I hope I answered your question. I, I think I deviated a little bit. No, okay. <laughs> oh, you mentioned foods. You mentioned food. And so, yes, estrogen, we do get food, estrogen from foods. And so now um, there are foods that I need to avoid because they would they increase my risk of breast cancer such as grapefruit for example i can't have grapefruit i can't have to avoid soy for example because that increases my estrogen level so estrogen foods that would increase my estrogen are foods that i avoid i also am on um an estrogen um i'm on a medication tamoxifen which essentially um diminishes or the level of estrogen in my body. And before it was the standard of care was five years, but it's currently 10. So I'm on that medication uh, for a period of 10 years um, post-diagnosis. And that's another kind of 
interesting, not interesting, but I think important thing for women to know is because they're not able to, the doctors don't currently have the ability to take, give me a blood test or give people a blood test to say, okay, it's somewhere else in your body. We can detect it. They prescribe medication, not knowing if you actually breast cancer cell, uh, the cancer cells have escaped to other parts of your body. So they give you medication to try to prevent it from coming back, but there's, you're, it's basically giving you medication in the blind. They don't know if you need it, but it's a safeguard. It's like insurance that you take the medication, hoping it'll help prevent the breast cancer from reoccurring in the event that it has in fact escaped to other parts of your body. And that was something I was kind of also shocked to learn that, you know, doctors didn't have the ability to say, okay, we can scan your body in some other way and detect whether or not the breast cancer cells are there. So instead, the best we can do is prescribe medication for this period of time to, so that just in case any breast cancer cells have escaped, this is going to diminish that chance of recurrence by like 30%. So yes, as a breast cancer survivor of, with estrogen receptor breast cancer, I do watch the foods I eat and have to monitor you know, my estrogen levels. Understood. And let's go again um, back to how you were feeling at the time, because I think anyone going through this experience, the same experience, and, you know, they probably need someone to listen to or some support, but um, there's a chapter where you talk about vulnerability. So was there a period where when you first heard the diagnosis that you just wanted to kind of be by yourself, but then once you started to open up, and, you know, receive people's, you know, kindness or support that things started to align for you? I think, yes. I think my, my inclination was to, it was around Christmas time. It was in December that I found my lump. It was December 12th, I believe. And so I didn't want to scare people. I didn't want to worry them. I didn't want to worry my family. I was also just overwhelmed and And I felt, you know, you're so, I was so kind of in shock and scared, to be honest, that I think it just, my inclination was to hide and to just retreat. And I didn't tell my family or really people about my, other than my two best friends who were with me um, until about, it's six, six to seven months later. And I didn't understand the benefit of support. I didn't understand the significance and the impact that it would have on me until I started to receive it. Because you're in so much fear and overwhelm and it really, you don't, your body, it's just so much to process. It's so much to deal with every day. And once I did, uh, start going to, I went to a support group. I found a support group. Um, and I went to that support group every week. It was a group of women who were also facing um, breast cancer, a breast cancer diagnosis. Um, once I started sharing, my, my oncologist, she was amazing. She said, by not telling people about your diagnosis, you're not letting the love in and you need to let the love in. And I remember thinking, wow, that that was a pretty profound statement that 
I needed to try that. And so I told my family, I told my friends, my outer circle of friends, and I just kind of opened myself up to, I started going to the support groups every week. And I started to experience such, I can't even explain the level of support energetically that I felt on a daily basis. Women who, and then women I knew connected me to other women who have have had breast cancer, a couple of whom have had the same type that I've had. And I was so, I felt so supported and felt so loved, not only by my family, but strangers that I met during the support weekly support group meetings. I had so much love for these women and so much admiration for their courage and for going what they were going through, for facing what they were going through. And it was, it was, I felt connected to women in general. I felt a community with these women that I didn't know who were only strangers the day before who would call me after my appointments and who were there for me, who were offering to bring me food and meals and who were willing to go out of their way to make sure I was okay, who would bring me, come to my place and bring me flowers and be there for me in a way that was so profound and so beautiful. And the universe, I think that people that face this diagnosis should know that the universe will meet you where you are. And if you open yourself to support, if you have to go through any kind of breast cancer diagnosis, that all this love, all this support will flood into your life and is such a profound experience. I'm forever changed by the love that I felt and the kindness from people that I had always, I had always been a giver. I always, you know, as a type A personality, I always went out of my way for people. I always tried to, you know, be there for people and do nice things, but to receive love on that level, to receive support on that level, it changed me. It changed, it changed how I view life. It changed my appreciation for my fellow human, my, uh, you know, any woman. Any doctors, friends, coworkers, um, doctors became my friends, my personal friends. They showed me so much love and care just on a human level. And that's something that people should know that, that the world and the universe and the community, people will come and support you and help you. Now, if people are looking for support, are there any groups you recommend? Like where do survivors or people going through this, where, where should they go if they're in a time of weakness? So I found the Young Survivors Coalition, which is geared towards um, breast cancer for uh, women in, who are young, you know, before the age of 40. I found that that is very... Uh, great support community. I found I found a, a local community center, which um, I went to my uh, meetings, my weekly meetings um, during that time. I found that just at my local community center, to be honest, and it was incredibly profound. 
in terms of the level of support and just interacting and hearing women's stories um, on a weekly basis. I think you're the, the hospitals, the hospital that in your general practitioner can provide local uh, support group centers that are, um, that are available in, in your community. So my hospital, the hospital that I went to was, you know, d- uh, like far from where I was living. So there are, there are uh, support groups in your particular community that make it easy for you to get to. Um, and if, if you can't go to one in person, then they have some that are available online. And so, you know, I would, I would also, obviously anyone can email me directly at Sophia, uh, B survivor at gmail.com. And I'm happy to research local support groups that are available in your area. I did a lot of research, um, during that time. And, you know, I've have, um, familiarity with different groups in different locations, um, depending on, you know, where you live and what's most convenient for you. Um, so yes, there are options. There's plenty of options and, and thankfully, um, now remote options for people that are undergoing treatment and may not have the energy to physically leave their homes and, but still be connected to others, um, in a really profound way. And how has your life changed as a result of breast cancer and everything you've gone through? Like your mindset, your health, your life? Wow. <laughs> um, there are so many ways <laughs> that it's changed. Um, I, you know, it's really changed on a visceral level. And what I mean by that is, you know, I was always, I think I was obviously a type A, but I was always stressed out and I was always, I think, overwhelmed. I mean, I had a high profile uh, job, corporate job as an attorney that was very extremely demanding. And, you know, that was sort of the lifestyle that I led and that I was okay with. And, you know, I don't recall really, you know, waking up every morning on a visceral level and just having so much physical gratitude on a heart level for my health and gratitude for being a healthy, normal person. Even when, when things are normal, things are not great. You don't think, oh, my life is so amazing. But when I was going through breast cancer, I, I thought, oh, I wish my life was just normal. I wish everything was just fine. That I didn't realize when things were normal, how lucky I was. And I remember the nurse said to me when I was going to have my surgery, she said, we're going to take this out. We're going to take out this cancer. And then you're going to go back to your fabulous, most incredible life. And I thought to myself, was I living my fabulous, incredible life? My life was fabulous, incredible and incredible, but I didn't have the mindset to appreciate that it was. And so I think that it isn't until you, what you have is almost taken away. Now that I'm healthy and I have a body that allows me to go take a walk on the street and I can be outside and appreciate the beautiful day, I have such immense gratitude for my health and for 
the ability to connect with other people, for the ability to, you know, really share my soul's intention of trying to make other people's lives better, that I have more time with my family and my friends, that I'm able to just explore and have these human experiences on a daily level. And I have just so much gratitude for that and appreciation for healthcare workers, appreciation for women who I didn't even know who became my friends, my dear friends who would have done anything for me. So I think it's really my mentality that I think God, it was one of the great greatest blessings from that experience is to appreciate our lives and how really precious they how precious of a gift it is the greatest gift i think um and i think that would be the biggest lesson that i've learned and it seems that the relationship with yourself changed and this happened before covid but did anything new come out of COVID with just the way that your, your mind was thinking about this whole process that you went through? I think that, I think that for me, my process with breast cancer having taken place right before COVID was my kind of period of self-realization about my own personal vulnerability. My, my having to kind of accept and love myself even at my weakest point when life seemed overwhelming and I didn't even know the future and whether I would live or not live. I had to accept myself. I had to accept myself in that most vulnerable state and I had to love myself no matter what physical condition I was in. That was a process, a two-year process that you know, obviously changed me. But then when COVID took place, I think it was sort of this other, you know, as a society, we also under, I think have come to or came to terms or had a different sense of our own vulnerability as a collective and how we are so vulnerable and everything we do affects us I think that disease, the fact that that, you know, this disease has taken over so much and changed our lives so much that hopefully we, we think about how we live and what's important to us on a daily level, on a daily basis. And, you know, really accept our vulnerability as a blessing and that that vulnerability is a commonality and a common thread in all of us and that we're all you know, here trying to do the best we can, live our best lives and and hopefully supporting each other and, you know, ideally being as healthy as we can be and as happy. (laughs) Right. And about the book, I want to make sure that anyone listening to this can get your book. What did you learn by writing it? And then let us know where people can get it to read it. Because I think, I mean, I've learned a lot from it myself. I can only imagine people going through this. I mean, you're probably reading their mind of how their experience is going and how they're feeling. 
Yeah. So in terms of writing the book, I think for me, it was all of the things that I learned throughout that two and a half year process. I just, I did so much research and found out so many things that I didn't know about breast cancer and the process of treatment and recovery and prevention that I felt so overwhelmed with the need to put that out there and give that information to other people, to other women, uh, to young women. And I, that I felt, I wish, I wish I would have, I wish I would have known. Um, and so that's how the book really came about. And I started just putting it in bullet points and became one to 50 once, and then it turns to one to 100. So, but they're very digestible, um, you know, in terms of, uh, the information, I tried to make it as digestible as possible. And, uh, in terms of, the um, and I, I provide also support information and resources, uh, references to resources that might be helpful that were helpful to me, um, which is which is found in the back of the book as well. And people can um, feel free to email me at sophiabsurvivor at gmail.com. And in terms of getting the book, it's available on Amazon uh, via hard copy as well as Kindle. And honestly, you can just Google a hundred things I wish I knew breast cancer. And it is usually the first book to come up, um, a young patient's perspective. Um, and then, you know, obviously I want to support the community or support others as much as I can. So I also, am going to be checking my email and, you know, providing any advice and, uh, to anyone that emails me, I really find this to be now my life's, you know, sort of mission of really doing whatever I can in any way I can to help other people during their process as well. Thank you so much, Sophia. I really am grateful we had this connection and talk, and I know you're going to provide comfort to so many people going through this or other survivors. And I hope that you can give them strength and awareness that they can overcome breast cancer too. Thank you so much, Jennifer. I so appreciate your talking to me and, you know, just giving me the opportunity to share this information with other women. It really is such a blessing. Thank you so much. Well, that's it for now. Thanks everyone for joining us. Please reach out to me so I can feature you on my show. I do respond to everyone. You can find me on my Instagram at Jennifer Sherlock or my business Instagram at Jenna.com and check out our new website coming soon, livewithoutanet.com. Thanks again, and I look forward to taking risks with you.